Morning, everyone. Uh, welcome back for those that are joining us for the first time back in the building. It's week B. Um, feels a little weird. I'm like asking people, you know, what week are you? You know, to see when I can expect them. Um, it's always exciting to be able to welcome you guys back. And so I'm really glad that I can see your faces. Um, as Sam mentioned, we started a new series last week, uh, Goodbye 2021. Um, and we did look at uh, that last message, how we become really good at dividing off different parts of our lives instead of embracing our whole identity in all we do. And so we'll continue on from last week um, with a struggle for identity. You know, our eyes tend to wander. And if you're not fully set in who you are, you won't be satisfied. And you'll seek all sorts of things, consuming endlessly in order to find fulfillment. Um, before we get into the passage, how about I pray for us, and then we'll get started with the sermon. Uh, Father, it's so good to be able to gather together. Uh, it's so good to be able to uh, worship you and to sing your praises together with the people of God. Uh, we come together knowing uh, that in our daily lives, uh, we cultivate all sorts of different thoughts, different actions repetitively, and it leads us uh, one way or the other, God. But we really want to be led uh, not by our own selves, not by our own hearts, but by you. And every word that you have to say to us uh, through your word and through your son, Jesus Christ. So we turn to you now, God. Uh, we ask, Lord, that your good news would be good news to our hearts. Uh, good news that we've been set free. That we can look to you and that we can experience in freedom uh, true worship of who you are. Would you be with us this morning, God? Uh, would you speak to us clearly and loudly, drowning out anything else uh, that's on our minds, on our hearts, uh, that tries to lead us astray, that tries to lead us in different directions. Give us great wisdom through your Holy Spirit. Change us by virtue of who you are and what you've done for us. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. In his novel, uh, Infinite Jest, this writer, David Foster Wallace, writes about a movie that's so captivating, so entertaining, and so well-made that it completely arrests the hearts of anyone who watches this movie. You know, you can't tear your eyes away from this movie if you watch it. So once the film starts, people in the audience will just sit transfixed on this movie, unable to look away. And then once the film ends, well, they don't want to do anything else except go back and watch it again and again. They become uninterested in everything else in their lives Eventually, their lives collapse. They continue to watch the film until their eventual deaths. It kind of begs the question though, if a movie was this good, if there was some sort of entertainment that was that captivating, would you watch it? Would you dare risk watching it? You know, we want a life that's worth living, a life that's filled with meaning, you know, no one wants to live a meaningless life. No one wants to lead a pointless existence. And yet, quite often in our lives, if you really examine, we settle for frivolity. We, we settle for frivolous things, for things that are very trivial. 
Amusement is the thing that so many of us are willing to stake our lives upon without even knowing it. You know, unless we actually stop and actually ask ourselves these questions, we don't realize it. When we measure everything in our lives by how entertained we are, how much fun we're having, then the logical conclusion of this is that our amusement becomes what we live for. Have you thought about this? We tend to measure everything by how fun it is. Of course, when we're presented with a binary choice like I'm about to do, you know, do you want to live a meaningful life or do you want to live an entertained life? Surely, all of us, hopefully, would choose the former. But nevertheless, we live in a time where entertainment is king and our mindless consumption, it stupefies our existence. It's become so easy to access entertainment that we, it's pretty rare to find a moment of quiet, you know, to spend time in this quiet. We don't give ourselves opportunities to be bored anymore. We don't give ourselves opportunities to imagine, but instead, we have some sort of media dictating the way that we think. All sorts of different media is constantly at the center of people's conversations worldwide, and we don't want to miss out on this conversation either. So we become even more unaware, undiscerning in our consumption of these things. I'm sure you can think of a few uh, different shows that are just everywhere. You can't escape it anymore. Now, every week for our church service, you know, if you've been tuning in online and if you're here, you know, this morning, um, you would have noticed that there's a particular order to how we do things. Have you noticed this? There are elements in the service that we always do. You know, we always start, you expect, with pre-service prayer at 9.50. You know that in the beginning, there's a few songs that we sing together, and then presider comes up, prays for us, and there's a few, uh, there's a bit of fellowship time, and then we get into the Word, which is what we're in now, right? These are New Life liturgies. I don't know if you've heard of this word, liturgy. You know, there are rites or actions that make up our worship. And when we repeat these things, the repetition of these things helps to shape us as worshipers. As you attend a church, as you become a member of a church, you repeat these things and you start becoming better and better at doing these things. We become better and more comfortable with praying when we watch and when we listen to other people pray and then when we do so ourselves. We start remembering the lyrics and the melody of some of the songs that we hear again and again. Unless you're like me, you don't really remember the melody. We get to know and appreciate and love those that we continually interact with. So when we have fellowship time and you continue to talk with certain people, suddenly you remember their names. You remember what they do. You remember who their brothers and sisters are. You remember what they're going through. And you grow to actually care for them. But liturgies are not just for church services. Even though it's a very churchy word, it didn't begin this way. The Greek root of this word, it came from service, a public service usually. Just as faith is not just for Sundays, as we looked at last week, our new lives in Christ demand an all-of-life examination. And so the question, what are the liturgies of your life? What are these practices? 
You know, we do things repeatedly, day by day, and we create habits. We have particular dispositions towards these habits. We think certain ways about these habits. And these habits end up discipling our hearts and creating attitudes towards the things that we do. If you do something enough, you have a certain attitude about it, and you probably grow to like it. And this further solidifies these habits in our lives, which will continually point us in a certain direction. Now, there's plenty of Christian thought given towards uh, life-shaping habits from modern contemporary writers, okay? There's modern writers like, uh, there's an Anglican priest named Tish Harrison Warren. There's the modern-day philosopher James K. Smith. You might have heard of him. Um, Back in the day as well, 1700s, preacher and theologian Jonathan Edwards wrote that a soul's essence consists in powers and habits because these are the things that make up your life. These are the things that you partake in. The church of your life is made up of certain habits and liturgies. Now, what we're going to talk about today, consumption. And this is a big struggle for me as well. Okay, you know this already. If you know me, you know that I enjoy media. You know that I, I enjoy talking about it, consuming it endlessly. You know, I've talked about Marvel several times already. Um, throughout the last year. I enjoy movies, television, games, you know these things. But there's a tension in my heart if I really take the time to examine it. You know, I, oftentimes I try not to. I try to ignore that voice. You know, my inner voice and also the voice of my wife. You know, and I try to ignore these voices, but there's a tension. And I ask myself, am I growing too enamored with these things, with entertainment, rather than glorifying God through this entertainment. If you want to examine your heart with respect to this as well, ask yourself, has anything become so big or so important to me that I say I can't give that up? Think about the things that you partake in day by day. Is there anything in your life that you can't possibly give up? Whether it's Netflix, or video games, or watching sports. You know, we're talking kind of exclusively about entertainment today, consumption of entertainment today, but I'm sure there's other things. Now, when I say these things, these things aren't inherently evil. This is like, this is the craziest thing. You know, we're not talking about inherently evil things, but they are dangerously, addictively good at what they do, at giving us exactly what we want whenever we want it. You can literally put on your favorite TV show whenever you want. You don't have to worry about ads anymore, except for certain services. For some reason, they still have ads. They give us whatever we want. So I'm going to clarify, when we're talking about consumption of media here and throughout the rest of the sermon, we're not talking about inherently sinful media either. Okay, These, this kind of a given, right? Whether those things are things that drive lust or violence, things like pornography, etc., Those things are kind of off the table completely, right? Feeding yourself with sinful media will kill your holy affectations, your desire to grow more Christ-like. It'll kill those things. This is a given. We're not going to that topic today. But what we're talking about is feeding ourselves with tons of morally neutral media. And sometimes that's harder. Sometimes this discipline is a lot harder. 
This also dulls our holy affectations as well. Our zeal for the Lord gets dulled as we continually feed on morally neutral media. The habits that are formed through repetitive consumption becomes the liturgies of our daily lives. And it results in the giving of ourselves, our souls, to the idol of media, the idol that takes our love and doesn't ever love us back. The passage today, Colossians 3, verses 1 to 4, reads this. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. How can we apply this passage into our lives when it comes to the consumption of entertainment? First, we can figure out, what are these earthly things that we set our minds on? What are these things that we think about constantly? What are the idols that we bow to, the gods that we worship in our lives? And you can identify if you ask yourself these questions. What do I do when I'm bored? Where do I look for comfort? What do I normally talk most excitedly about? And you'll find your answer there. The ancient uh, writer Homer, he wrote this ancient Greek epic poem, The Odyssey. You know, some of you guys might have heard of it. Uh, it tells us the story of a man named Odysseus, or Ulysses in the Roman, right? Who is sent to war, and he has to leave his wife Penelope behind at home. And so he goes to war, he fights, he wins. You know, after the war ends, he's trying to return home to his love. He's a long way away. And so he's got to sail by ship. And the journey home takes his ship close to a particular island. And he sees, and his crewmates see, how inviting this island is. There's golden meadows in the sun. His crew wants to land on this island, take a little bit of a break, but Odysseus, he knows about this island, and he warns his crew. That is the island of the sirens. Circe warned me to steer clear of it, for the sirens are beautiful but deadly. They sit beside the ocean, combing their long golden hair and singing to passing sailors. But anyone who hears their song is bewitched by its sweetness, and they are drawn to that island like iron to a magnet, and their ship smashes upon rocks as sharp as spears, and those sailors join the many victims of the sirens in a meadow full of skeletons. I don't know if you can see that picture very well, that artwork. Um, sirens don't look that beautiful there. They're like weird bird creatures with uh, women's heads. Uh, who knows what they look like, right? There are a lot of things in this life that attract us, that look like safe havens to us as we go through this life. And we might judge with our eyes that these things are good for us. The judgment of our eyes tells us one thing. For our modern minds and hearts, what's more attractive, what's more bewitching and sweeter to our senses than the promise of fun, amusement, or entertainment? Like if my friends said, hey, let's go here, it's going to be really fun. <laughs> what sounds better than that? Cultural commentator Neil Postman, who was not a believer, he observed of the Christian faith 
in his book, Amusing Ourselves to Death. He said this, I believe I am not mistaken in saying that Christianity is a demanding and serious religion. When it is delivered as easy and amusing, it is another kind of religion altogether. What's the purpose of our lives? What has Jesus set us free into? Has he broken the chains of sin and death just so we could just spend all our time at home amusing ourselves with endless hours of video games, binging on the latest shows, remembering, by and large, that entertainment itself is not evil. Yet the way we as Christ followers consume it leads into sin and calls into question our commitment to the mission of Christ. We've been talking a lot about mission. We've been talking a lot about evangelism lately. And perhaps these things are dulled by the way that we consume media. Now, when you read through Paul's letter to the Colossians, particularly this chapter, Colossians chapter 3, you start seeing what Paul describes as holy living. And this is displayed in the contrasting images of the old life and the new one in Christ. The old life is found in verses 5 to 11. The way of the new life in Christ is seen in verses 12 to 17. And so in your own time, read through these things with someone. Are the practices that you engage in the entertainment that you consume feeding into your former way of life or the new life in Christ. If you're a Christ follower, then you know that because of his grace, you're one of God's chosen people. You know this. We talk about this each week, right? You're holy, you're dearly loved, and you've received his forgiveness. So this means that we belong to the new humanity that's being renewed in the knowledge and image of our creator. We're being remade in his image. We're looking more and more like Jesus. But if this is the case, how do we balance this reception of grace, this transformation that we're undergoing, with our consumption? How do you balance these things? Verse 17 reads this, And whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. You know, I used to read this verse and only think about that one part, whatever you do. And I would feel so free. It was so beautiful. Think about the personal freedom to engage in anything that I want. But if you hold this intention with the rest of the Bible when it talks about how, yes, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial, If we're told in this verse itself, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, this means there's a high responsibility on us. This means that we're we're representing him in this world. And if we're representing him, then maybe we start to wonder, can I really do this if I'm representing my Lord Jesus Christ? A lot of your family members attend this church when you represent your family, you might change the way that you act as well. My guess is that when it comes to entertainment, the answer is sometimes yes, sometimes no. It's not super simple. It's not cut and dry. Uh, Years ago, very early on in our marriage, I remember when uh, we were fast approaching Easter. 
And we went into uh, this season called Lent, okay? And Bora was talk talking to me about what she was going to give up for Lent. If you're not familiar, Lent is a season leading up to Easter Sunday, and it commemorates the 40 days that Jesus spent in the wilderness fasting. And so many Christians spend this time fasting as well, you know, and not always food or, or whatever it might be, but sometimes we just give something else up, you know, whatever might be very big in our lives. And I remember this particular year, I think I was pretty tired, and I think I was thinking, let's just take it easy. It'll be okay. I'll give up this type of food, which I'm not really that keen on anyway, you know, and so my life doesn't change all that much. And I felt really uncomfortable when Bora started asking me, so what are you giving up? And I didn't want to say it, you know, like chocolate, and she's like, oh. You don't even eat chocolate, right? So she started challenging me to give us something else that she noticed was taking up a lot of my time, gaming, okay? And at this time, in the middle of my studies, my part-time work and doing all this stuff, this was like my way of just relaxing at home. I just gotten some new game. I can't even remember what it was. And she noted that I've been spending a lot of time just playing and wondered if, hey, do you want to maybe give that up instead? You know, wondering aloud in a way that's not just wondering aloud, right? So here's the rock in the hard place. I could have said no, but this would make it seem like it's something I absolutely cannot give up. And so I can't say that. Then I'm just admitting it is an idol in my life. But if I say yes, I am giving it up, which I don't want to do. Okay, and so I said yes, obviously. Um, it always feels like you're just dragging your feet, like you're only begrudgingly going along with things when the decision or the push that someone gives you towards something is from someone else. It doesn't come from inside you. If someone else is telling you, hey, I think you're spending a little bit too much time on that, it doesn't feel that good and it doesn't feel like a genuine response. But that accountability between Bora and me, between a husband and a wife, and the accountability that we as all Christians share with our brothers and sisters, it should lend itself to difficult conversations like that. It should lend itself to soul-searching like I had been forced to do. But ultimately, what I discover in that time is you can't legislate such things. Legalism will kill. It'll kill your desire for holiness. It won't even be holiness. You'll just be doing something. You'll be worshiping your own legal standing. And decisions like this must be prayed for and prayed through. So what's the answer here? This is one of the most maddening things about consumption. What's the answer here? The answer when it comes to consumption is the same as we often find in the rest of the Christian life. There is a tension, there's a balance to be struck. The answer is not found in shutting ourselves off from the world and becoming hermits. Like, if someone talks to me about squid game, I'm not gonna act like, oh, what's that? Is there food? I'm not going to say that because it seems very foolish, right? We can be awed by the amazing technological advances that put entertainment at our fingertips. It is amazing. I can't believe we live in such a time. And we can enjoy this said entertainment too. But we also must balance this with being aware of what kind of world we're living in of how these things sound a siren call to us, and it can draw us away from God and shipwreck us. 
on the jagged rocks below. Famous pastor John Piper, he puts it this way, a steady diet of triviality shrinks the soul. You get used to it. It starts to seem normal. Silly becomes funny, and funny becomes pleasing, and pleasing becomes soul satisfaction. And in the end, the soul that is made for God has shrunk to fit snugly around triteness. As we grow in our fascination for the things of this world, our hearts, you might find, refuse to delight in Christ anymore. It becomes a lot harder to delight in Christ. He is not all flashing lights all the time. But if we do the reverse, if we look to him, and if we consume Christ, we'll find that his glory satisfies our hearts and does something very similar. It enlarges our desires for more of him. Just like if you sit and binge 100 hours of Netflix, your desire for more Netflix happens. Surprise, surprise. Now, this is going to take a great deal of personal conviction and some hard choices. I can't sugarcoat that. If legalism isn't the answer, and there's no real hard, here's what to do line, then the decisions that we make about how we interact with, how we relate to, how we consume fun and entertainment and amusement, it has to come from a heart that's actually interacting with God. You must pray. You must interact with God in order to come to a personal conviction. We don't have the faculties within ourselves to keep from entertaining ourselves to death. That Lent, if Bora hadn't said anything, I would have gone on not eating chocolate and not really examined myself. Just think, in the last few years, we've had entertainment become so easy to get a hold of, don't you think it'll just get easier and easier to access? Like one day, I'm sure they're just going to beam it directly into our brain. We won't even get to say no. And then we'll probably like it. Simultaneously, it's becoming better and more pleasing to our senses. I can't believe how good movies are these days. And these aren't necessarily negative things. We must, though, as a people, become better at discipling ourselves and one another. And indeed, our children, for those of us that already have children, for those of us that look to become fathers and mothers one day, about what we're going to say yes to and what we're going to say no to. We can't just broad brush and say that all pleasure is good because then we would lose sight of the fact that it can be dangerous as well. Restraint will allow us to choose what we allow to come in and what we place as of greater importance than whatever we're restraining ourselves from. Now, if you're with me, if your conviction takes you there, what do you do? We want to look to the greatest spectacle of all. Okay? Christian writer Tony Renke talks all about this in his book, um, Competing Spectacles. We want to look to the greatest spectacle of all, Jesus Christ on the cross. This is the greatest spectacle in all of history. He's the glory of God, Scripture tells us, in all that he is and says and does. But we as sinners, we're often blind to this. Only in knowing him do we have our eyes opened and the veil torn so that we can truly gaze upon his beauty. This is the reason why so many people can look at the Bible and just see it as an irrelevant book and not see the glory of God shining through every page. 
And if you're there now, if, you're, if you count yourself among that number, and if you can recognize that you are blind, then you can do something about it today. Those that don't recognize their blindness are the ones that are most at risk. They'll continue on with their lives, won't realize that they and those around them can be healed. But those that know they are blind can cry out for help from God. No matter the consequence, no matter how crazy or foolish we might look to the people around us, we can ask for help until we can see. You can see this a little bit allegorically in the way that Jesus heals blind Bartimaeus. In Mark chapter 10, they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a large crowd, Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the road. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many warned him to keep quiet. Why? But he was crying out all the more, have mercy on me, son of David. So Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called the blind man and said to him, have courage, get up, he's calling for you. He threw off his coat, jumped up, and came to Jesus. Then Jesus answered him, what do you want for me to do to you? Uh, what do you want me to do for you? Rabboni, the blind man said to him, which means teacher, I want to see. Jesus said to him, go, your faith has saved you. Easy as that. Immediately he could see and began to follow Jesus on the road. Blind Bartimaeus knows his condition, but even better is that he knows Jesus can heal him. He's heard all about Jesus' works, and he knows this is the medicine. The others around him don't seem to understand this. Even as they're following Jesus and doing what he asks, they don't get that this man is crying out for help from the only one that can help him. Why would they tell him to stop? Why would they not understand that, right? Bartimaeus, before he's healed of blindness, can already see Jesus' glory in some way. Like, examine the irony with me there. He's blind, but he can see, whereas those that can see are truly blind. And being healed, he continues to look to Jesus, following him on the road. When we truly behold his glory, it changes us. We're able to continue walking that, that hard road, that challenging road with him. Second Corinthians 3, it says this, We all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. Pray that your eyes are opened. For we, as we're able to actually see Jesus for who he is more and more, as we see the cross and the good news of God's grace, we're transformed into the same image of God from glory to glory. That's how transformation happens. That's the life of holiness. What our passage throughout Colossians tells us is that if we're followers of Christ, we're already free to worship God. But often we just choose in the wrong direction. Paul tells us that we have already risen with Christ, and so our minds should also follow. And that story I told you about earlier in the Odyssey, as the ship sails closer to the island, Odysseus makes sure that none of his men will be lost. So he gives them uh, a bit of a present. So Xerxes had given him beeswax, and he gives it to the men to put into their ears so that they're deafened to the siren's cry. 
for himself. He wishes to hear their song, but he knows he's too weak. He can't resist it. And so he has his men tie him to the mast of the ship. And he tells them, don't let go of me. Don't let me loose no matter what I say. No matter how much I threaten you, no matter how much I beg you, no matter how much I say it's going to be okay, don't let me loose. And then they sail safely by the island. Odysseus hears the siren's song, but doesn't go to his death, and his men remain safe. Like this, we require that personal conviction to not fall victim to attractive things and just go into mindless consumption. We also need the help of the Holy Spirit. So pray for this help to come, to set you free from addiction to media and entertainment. And we need accountability within our community as well so that we can help each other. So that those that aren't interested or don't want to be interested can have spiritual beeswax to put into their ears. And those that continue to be a part of this media empire can have accountability. They can be tied so that they don't go down with the ship. If you'd like to give up consumption of something, if you can see that you've grown addicted to it, then I'd like for you to pray with me. Okay, it's a prayer that requires a little bit of bravery to pray. I admit this, because we know God is faithful to answer. This is one of the scariest things about prayer, that God will actually answer you. And yet our hearts, they'll sometimes fight us because they want to hang on for dear life to the idols that they've committed themselves to. Whatever that idol might be, your heart doesn't want to let go. It's sick. It leads us into ruin. It's a prayer for the courage to give up good things for the sake of the best thing. And you know in your heart what that is in your life. It might be difficult to pray these words, but it's a worthy prayer for those who are no longer willing to primarily be consumers, but disciples instead. Okay, so how about we pray together? I'll pray and you can amen if you feel that you are convicted. Father, our hearts are sick and deceitful beyond all things. We can't reason with them and we can't lead them, but surely you can. Our hearts lead us into ruin, not even just gorging themselves on purely implicitly sinful things, which sometimes they do, but they even go into mindless consumption of neutral things until they displace you in utter importance in our hearts. We grow to love all sorts of things in our lives, God, whether it might be media, Netflix, video games, fun and entertainment, friendships, whatever it might be. Specifically today, I know we're talking about consumption of entertainment, God, but whatever burdens the hearts of brothers and sisters here at New Life, I pray that you would help us to let go. The prayer for us today, God, is that you would give us the courage to pray. To pray these words, God, help me to not love this thing anymore. Help me not to find it enjoyable, this thing anymore. Help me not to surround my life with this thing anymore. Help me to let go of this thing. And it's a scary prayer for many of us because 
Sometimes our identities hinge on these things. Sometimes it's our greatest hobby. And sometimes we convince ourselves it's not so bad. Why should I let go? But God, we want to choose the ultimate, the best thing. We want to choose you. And we know that in you there's great freedom to enjoy whatever it is that you've given us and to do it for the glory of God. And that's the crux. Father, we want to enjoy these things for the glory of who you are, not just for our entertainment's sake, not just for boredom's sake, but for the glory of God. Convict our hearts, Lord. Help us to question ourselves and to ask, is it okay for me to do this as a representative of Christ? Is this the best thing for me in this life of holiness? Am I walking blind or am I seeing your glory? Speak to us, God. Open up our eyes truly that we might be able to behold your glory and be transformed from glory to glory into the image of your son, Jesus. Help us, Lord, to love you beyond all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.